If you like the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. Feel free to leave a nice review, too, if you like. And don't be shy about letting other people know about the show. All of these things help us out a ton, and we appreciate it very much. Now let's get to some scary stories. If you like scary stories, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories Podcast. (laughs) I am your host, just your friendly neighborhood maniac on the loose. Sit back and relax. Keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times and enjoy the ride. Maniac on the Loose Chapter 1 The Escape Wednesday, early morning, Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital John Bromley sits on the bed in his cold, secluded room, looking outside through the minuscule window, pondering what could be. His head turns when he hears the door to his room being unlocked. It is unusually early for any of the doctors to be visiting him. He stares at the door for a moment, expecting someone to enter, but nobody does. He listens, expecting to hear the squeak of the door opening. Silence. John rises from his bed once he notices that the door is slightly ajar. He quickly shuffles through his mind as to why someone would unlock and open his door. The most likely scenario is that the psychopathic head of security is baiting him, daring him to leave his room to justify a beating. John's slippers scrape against the chilly, bland, tiled floor as he moves to the door. He slowly pushes it open just enough to ease his head out and assess the situation. What he sees shocks him. Normally there is at least one security guard posted outside his door, but not today. The long hallway is quiet, no security, no other patients. The only sign of life is a doctor standing at the far end of the hall apparently filling out some paperwork. After finishing, the doctor turns the corner. This is John's chance. He bolts from his room and moves swiftly down the hallway. Before his mind can even begin calculating how to escape from the secure floor, he notices a block of wood holding the stairwell door open. John wastes no time and hurries down the empty stairwell. He slows and begins taking quiet, shallow breaths as he reaches the ground floor. Normally this door would be locked and guarded, but today is different. No guard, and another block of wood holding the door open. John slowly moves forward and pushes the door open slightly to gauge how many people are in the hall. The only person John sees is a young janitor sweeping. 
The janitor pauses for a moment, causing the hair on John's neck to rise. If the janitor spots him, he'll have no chance. However, the janitor renders John's concerns irrelevant as he continues up the hallway, allowing John to sprint to the side entrance unnoticed. The door should have security, but it doesn't. It should be locked, but it isn't. Serial killer John Bromley is on the loose. Chapter 2 Melissa Friday, early afternoon Melissa is a woman in her late 20s, athletically built with short brown hair that matches the color of her large round eyes. Looking into the bathroom mirror, she applies lip gloss and rehearses to her reflection. Hi Alex, my name is Melissa. Hello Alex, nice to meet you. I'm Melissa. Melissa adjusts her tight red shirt as she exits her house. She holds a hopeful smile as she gets into her car and begins to drive. A funky song, which is fitting for her mood, plays on the radio as she drives through the old downtown section of Madisonville, Kentucky. She looks down at the radio when the music is abruptly silenced by a booming voice. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you this special report. A patient described as extremely dangerous may have escaped from the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital two days ago, according to an anonymous tip. Hospital officials have released no information, and WMAD is still trying to confirm details. So far, we have had no luck in reaching Dr. Franklin Grimm, the director of the hospital, for comment. Our experts recommend that if you see or have seen anyone behaving strangely or wearing hospital patient attire, contact authorities immediately. Melissa adjusts the volume. As she raises her head, she gasps and slams on the brakes. Her car stops inches from a large, shaggy-haired man in an oversized black jacket. The strange man doesn't react. He simply stares without emotion at Melissa through the windshield. Melissa catches her breath as the man slowly walks to the driver's side window. Melissa, blood boiling, promptly rolls down her window. What the hell were you doing? I could have just killed you! The man bends down and grabs the side of the door as he stares at Melissa with icy eyes. Melissa looks down at the radio again. To repeat, a patient described as extremely dangerous has reportedly escaped from the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital, though that information has not yet been confirmed. Melissa looks back up at the cold stare of the man and immediately pounds on the gas. As she peels away from him, she peers back into the rearview mirror to see what the man is doing. A chill runs over her as she sees that he is merely standing, watching as she drives away. Chapter 3 Dr. Grimm Friday, early afternoon. Dr. Franklin Grimm sits in his office at the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital with his phone to his ear. His nervous eyes dart around as his mind races. He is in his late fifties with dark, thinning hair and bushy eyebrows. Frustration flows over his long face. Call me just as soon as you get this message. 
He hangs up the phone, gathers a stack of files from his desk, and quickly exits his office to his secretary's adjoining office. His secretary, Gloria, a tall woman in her 40s with thick, wavy hair, immediately bombards him. Dr. Grimm, I know you said to hold all of your calls. Dr. Grimm cuts her off before she can continue. No, 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 no. I, I, I don't have time for this. I, I don't have time. I, I, wait a minute. Did the uh, head of security call? Gloria cocks her head slightly to the side. The head of security? You mean Ski Mask? He's on vacation this week, isn't he? Dr. Grimm is losing his patience. Yes, I, I know he's on vacation, but did he call? No. Good. Let me know if he does. Dr. Grimm turns and opens the door to exit the room, but freezes when he sees Dr. Lewis, one of his head doctors. She is walking down the hall with two of her underlings. Dr. Grimm ducks back into his office and shuts the door behind him. This piques his secretary's curiosity. What is it? If anyone sees me, I'll never get out of here. The door opens and Dr. Clark, a burly man in his early 50s and Dr. Grimm's second-in-command, begins casually walking into the office. Dr. Grimm pulls him in and quickly shuts the door. Dr. Grimm, I need to talk to you. I'm on my way out. You can't leave yet. We need to talk. We'll, we'll talk tomorrow. Tomorrow will be too late. Dr. Grimm abruptly halts the back and forth when a realization dawns on him. You're supposed to be in Springfield, aren't you? My talents are being wasted in Springfield. We'll talk about this tomorrow. Dr. Grimm turns to leave and accidentally drops all of the folders onto the floor. Damn it! He bends down and begins fumbling for the files. Dr. Clark attempts to help him, but Dr. Grimm gathers them up before he can be of much assistance. As Dr. Grimm rises and reaches the door, Dr. Clark continues to badger him. You've got to hear my complaints sooner or later. Ugh, tomorrow? Dr. Grimm rushes out into the hall as a frustrated Dr. Clark runs his hand over his gray mustache and takes in a deep, aggravated breath. Chapter 4 Blind Date Friday, early afternoon. Melissa pulls into the driveway and double-checks the address on a piece of paper to make sure it's correct. Sure enough, it is. She exits the car and stands staring at the large, white, Victorian-style house decked out in green trim. It is very well kept and gives her the impression of an oversized dollhouse. It's definitely not at all what she had expected. She takes in a nervous breath and walks down the pathway to the front door. She runs her hand over her shirt to remove any wrinkles and then knocks. Within a few seconds, the door opens and a tall man in his late thirties with brown hair and a matching goatee stands in the doorway. His untucked grayish-blue work-type shirt matches his menacing eyes. The top few buttons of the shirt are undone, revealing the light tan t-shirt he wears underneath. His eyebrows are furrowed, and he looks annoyed. He stares at Melissa. What do you want? Uh, is Alex home? Alex? Yeah, I, I have a date with him, and actually I'm running about ten minutes late. Is he here? 
A sly smile breaks the stone expression of the man. You must be Melissa. Come on in. As Melissa enters, the man takes a nice look at her ass. Melissa, sensing this, stops and looks back at him, only to find him smiling at her. Slightly reluctant, Melissa walks deeper into the house. As Melissa stands in the foyer admiring the fancy antique decor of the house, the man walks to her and stares, saying nothing. Melissa breaks the uncomfortable silence. So is Alex home? The man speaks with no emotion. He had to go out. Because I'm actually running late and he said he'd be here all ready to go. He should be back soon. So where did he go? It's not my place to say. Well, how long ago did he leave? About 15 minutes ago. See, this is a blind date. Are you sure he's not just standing me up? He's not standing you up. He'll be here soon? He should be. Melissa takes a breath and looks around. The tidy, elaborately decorated house comforts her enough to give her absent date a chance. Now, this is weird, but I'll wait for a minute. As she steps into the living room and takes a seat on the couch, the man grabs a nearby stool and sits close to Melissa. A bit too close. He sits down and says nothing. He just stares at Melissa. Melissa feels the need to make this more normal and attempts to chit-chat with the mysterious man. Well, you know I'm Melissa, but I don't know your name, so what's your name? What should I call you? Those are two different questions. Huh? You asked me what my name was, and then you asked me what you should call me. Those are two different questions. I'll answer the second one. The man looks away from Melissa. After a moment of pondering, he smiles and looks back at her. You can call me Max. He breaks his stare from her eyes and gazes down at her breasts. He smirks and begins slowly sliding his tongue over the top row of his teeth. Okay, this is just too weird. I'm leaving. When she gets up and moves toward the door, Max rushes past her and blocks her way. No, don't go. Get out of my way. Uh, don't go. He'll be back. Uh, well, then tell me where he went. To the store. For what? Max hesitates before speaking. Okay, he was getting ready for your date and realized he was out of deodorant. He ran to the store to get some. Now, if you still want to leave, go right ahead. He moves aside and gestures toward the door. Now, if you want to stay and wait for him, he shouldn't be much longer. It's your choice. I really don't care. Melissa contemplates for a few seconds. I'll give him another minute. Melissa walks back to the couch and sits down. Max follows her and then smacks his head. Where are my manners? Max bends down over the back part of the couch and begins caressing the cushions. Can I get you anything while you wait? Well, I'll take something cold if you join me. Max flashes an eerie smile at her and exits into the kitchen. Melissa looks around at the ornately decorated living room. She sees a stack of magazines on the coffee table in front of her, reaches down, and begins to leaf through them. The top two are Log Home Living and Log Home Illustrated. She pauses when she sees the third one in the stack. Bra Busters. 
It features a woman on the cover who is fitting of that description. She looks at the next two magazines under that, Naked Divas and Dirty Whores. Embarrassed, she quickly restacks the magazines, puts them back as they were, and nonchalantly begins looking around at the room again. In the kitchen, Max turns on the faucet and fills two glasses with tap water. He walks back toward the living room but stops before he enters. He peers around the corner to see Melissa, still waiting and gazing about. He takes Melissa's glass of water, brings it close to his mouth, and licks the entire outer rim. For good measure, he licks the inner rim as well. He then walks casually back into the living room and immediately hands the licked glass to Melissa. That's good water. Go ahead, drink up. Melissa moves the glass close to her mouth, but stops when she notices the fireplace across from her. Is that a working fireplace? Max is visibly frustrated by her delay, but answers. Yeah, other than the fact that it doesn't have a damper. Damper? Max turns away from Melissa and stares at the fireplace as he speaks. It's the thing that you open when you're burning a fire so the smoke goes out the chimney. Then you close it when you're not burning it so you don't lose any heat. It also keeps animals out, birds and such. Well, I guess I don't know much about fireplaces. They're pretty, though. Max flashes the same sleazy smile again as he speaks. I like the flames. They remind me of a bunch of tongues licking at the wood. Um, so do you live here with Alex? No. How's your water? She raises the glass to her mouth. Max licks his lips in anticipation as the glass gets closer and closer. Max's expression appears slightly orgasmic as her lips finally touch the very rim that he had licked. Once finished with her drink, she continues trying to make polite conversation. It's good. How's yours? Max looks satisfied as he picks up the glass. So how'd you meet Alex? Over the internet. Max sits his glass back down and gives Melissa a perplexed look. So you meet some stranger over the computer, and you come to his house? And you said this is a blind date, so you don't even know what he looks like. Not so smart, if you ask me. For our first in-person meeting, we decided to meet for coffee in public early in the day. Wouldn't you say that's safe? Max rolls his eyes and shrugs. Only Alex said his car was in the shop, so he told me where he lived and just to pull up, honk, and he'd be right out. Sounded pretty safe to me. Max visibly scoffs at her notion while Melissa eyes him doubtfully. Are you sure you're not Alex? What? You wouldn't be just pretending not to be Alex because I wasn't what you were expecting, would you? No, I wouldn't. Because if you want to just call this whole thing off, that's fine. Just tell me and I'll leave. I said I'm not Alex. Okay. Well, have you known Alex long? Max seems to think a moment before answering. Uh, I'm, I'm just helping him do some work around the place. Is, is that what you do for a living? A, a handyman, I mean. This question annoys Max. No. Well, what do you do? Max takes a long pause, seeming to struggle with his thought. 
I'm I'm over at the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital. The insane asylum? Well, then you know all about the escape then. The escape. Yeah, it was on the radio. A couple of days ago, one of their patients escaped. They say he's really dangerous. Max appears bothered by this news. What? You don't know about this? Max is getting extremely irritated. Of course I do. Well, what happened then? I don't know. Well, I'm sorry. I I, I just thought that... (gasps) You know what? It's really scary, but I think I saw him. Who? The escaped lunatic. I think I saw him this morning on my way here. He was just standing outside my car, just staring at me. Ugh, it gives me the creeps just thinking about it. Max rolls his eyes. It wasn't him. Oh yeah? How do you know? A fury begins to burn in Max's eyes as he gets up and begins to pace. You see, you report this shit to the media and suddenly everywhere people turn they see a maniac on the loose. You think this guy is going to walk around in broad daylight and show everyone how crazy he is? He's too smart for that. Oh, so do you know who he is? What? No! Look, what the hell's with all the questions? Melissa winces as he shouts. Am I supposed to have all the answers here? Am I? Am I? Max puts his hands on his head. He starts to shake as his hands curl up into two fistfuls of hair. He lets go and his face reddens as he erupts at her. Damn it! He storms off into the kitchen and slaps a box of booberry off the counter, sending it spilling onto the floor. He steadies himself and thunders his fists down onto the counter while letting out a short roar of fury. Max opens up one of the drawers and pulls out a large slicing knife. Max pulls his shirt sleeve up, puts the blade to his forearm, and starts to cut into his own flesh. He grits his teeth and saliva drips down his goatee as he slices deeper. Melissa listens from the living room to what appears to be mild grunting and groaning. She gets up and walks toward the kitchen area but doesn't dare enter. Uh, are you okay in there? She listens for a moment but there is no answer. As a matter of fact, the grunting and groaning has stopped and all is silent. Max? Still nothing. She looks back at Max's glass of water sitting on the coffee table. You didn't touch your water. Should I bring it in to you? Silence. Melissa has had enough and hurries toward the front door. Just before she reaches it, she hears Max's voice. Where do you think you're going? She spins around to see Max standing at the kitchen entrance, scowling at her. Uh, I I don't think Alex is going to show, so I'm just going to leave. You're not going anywhere. Melissa turns and races toward the front door, but Max is too fast for her and grabs her by the back of the neck. She screams as he spins her around and throws her to the floor. She gets to her hands and knees and scurries into the kitchen. Max is right behind her. Flashback, Friday, early afternoon. The man we know as Max is walking with purpose down the sidewalk. His shirt is tucked in and buttoned to the top. He scowls as he reaches the white Victorian house and moves down the walkway to the front porch. He knocks on the door. There's no immediate answer. He turns and scans the neighborhood before knocking again more forcefully. Still no answer. 
Max walks to the front window and tries to look in. As he is looking, a husky white-haired man in his late forties opens the door and steps out onto the porch. He has a very friendly demeanor. Yes? May I help you, sir? Max turns his face to the welcoming gent. What's your name? The white-haired man smiles as he speaks. My name's Alex. Do you live here? Why, yes. Yes, I do. How long have you lived here? Well, not long. Why do you ask? Max looks around the porch. I spent some of my childhood in this house. Oh, really? I used to live here. Is that so? Uh, how long ago did you move out? Max is in deep thought. It's been a while. The reason I ask is because I know a lot about this house. Several different families have lived in it through the years. Did you live here long? Long enough. I'm in from out of town. This is the first time I've been back. Uh, in over 20 years. Well, that's quite a hiatus. Are you back in town for a reason? My father's funeral. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to pry. Ah, oh, it's all right. I didn't really know him. We had a strained relationship. Alex seems particularly concerned by this statement. Oh, I am so sorry to hear that. Yeah, that's one of the true tragedies of the world, a father and son having a difficult relationship. Max walks to the edge of the porch and scans the yard. I guess I'm looking for some closure, and it brought me here. Well, what can I do to help? Max turns to Alex and approaches him as he speaks. Would it be asking too much if I could see my old room? Alex appears hesitant, so Max waves him off. Ah, oh, that's okay. You don't know me. I shouldn't be putting you in an awkward position like this. Max begins to leave the porch. No, no! Come on in! Are you sure it's okay? Alex smiles confidently. Absolutely! Alex enters the house, followed by Max, who quickly makes himself at home, peering around corners and up the stairs. You'll have to forgive me if I seem overly interested in your predicament, but I can relate to you. I also had a difficult relationship with my father, but I was able to rectify the situation. I'm sorry that you were unable to achieve such a solution while he was alive, but perhaps revisiting some old ghosts will be just what the doctor ordered for you. Maybe. Max picks up a picture and some other knickknacks and inspects them as Alex continues. You know, family is really all you have in life. It's the only thing you can depend on. One should never be without family. <laughs> That's my motto. Max begins walking up the stairs. My room was up here. Alex follows Max up the stairs and the one-sided conversation continues. I have a theory about family. What do most people think about when they think family? Max shrugs. Blood relatives, right? As Alex speaks, Max is looking at several pictures on the stairwell landing wall. But what about the spouse? The spouse isn't a blood relative, yet they are typically considered the most important member of a family. This is the basis of my theory. Does a family member have to be blood related? I don't think so. A family member can be anyone. This theoretically means that one can actually pick and choose who their family is. 
Max appears bored with Alex and speaks sarcastically. Interesting theory. Oh, listen to me rambling on and on. I have to be getting ready soon. Believe it or not, I have a date this morning. A date? This early? Well, it's our first date, and I wanted her to feel as safe and secure as possible. What better way to achieve that than a nice, friendly morning date? Uh, what's the lucky girl's name? Melissa. Isn't that beautiful? Max rolls his eyes. Psh, sure. Max walks down a hall. The decor gradually becomes less extravagant the closer they get to the room in question. As he walks, Max is clearly irritated by Alex's constant rambles, but Alex is so caught up in the conversation that Max's annoyance goes unnoticed. There are a few more pictures on the wall which Max is taking a slight interest in. He even straightens one that is crooked. Melissa and I seem to have a lot in common, but most importantly, we seem to share the same morals and values which are so important if you are to start a family together. And I might be getting a little ahead of myself here, but I think she might be the one. How fortunate for you. Alex finally begins to notice the frustration in Max. I'm so sorry. Here I am going on and on about my hopes and dreams when you're here trying to get some closure on the strenuous relationship you had with your father. Max gnashes his teeth before taking a breath and calming himself. Did your troubles with your father begin in this house? Max turns and looks at the bedroom door. In this room, to be exact. Max opens the door and steps in. He looks around the average gray room, taking it all in. Alex follows. There is a music box on the table. Max opens it and it begins to play a cheerful melody. He sets it down and lets it play as he continues to gaze around. This room was my prison. Well, it's not anymore. Max nods in agreement. No, it's not. Well, you've taken the first step. Uh, oh, my, I, I'm sorry. I never even asked you your name. No, you didn't. I think it's very admirable, uh, heartwarming, really, that you care enough about your father to come back on the day of his funeral to show your final respects and to make amends. And to come back here to the house you lived together where I'm sure you spent most of your time with him, that's love. That's what that is. Good old-fashioned love. Max's face begins to distort, almost as though he appears he may start to cry. Max covers his mouth, attempting to hold back his emotion before he finally succumbs and begins to laugh. He tries to stop laughing, but only laughs harder. Uh, are you laughing? Max is still laughing a bit as he begins to speak, but steadies himself and eventually becomes angry. Love? Respect? Amends? You don't seem to understand, Alex. I hate my father. With a passion. The only reason I came back to this town today is so that after that son of a bitch is in the ground, I can spit on his grave. Uh, you can't mean that. You, you can't be speaking of your father in that manner. A father and son's relationship is vital. He's your father. He's your family. Max nods and approaches Alex as he speaks. Yeah, yeah, he is. I'll give you that. He's my family whether I like it or not, because he's my own flesh and blood. Because unlike your bullshit theory, that is the only kind of real family there is. Flesh and blood. That's it. 
No, 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 you're wrong. What about a spouse? A wife? A wife isn't true flesh and blood, but she's just as much a family member as anyone else. A wife? Let me tell you what a wife is. A wife is nothing more than an object that you breed with to produce your own true flesh and blood. No, no, you're wrong, sir, and you're wrong to speak about your father that way. I don't care what happened between you two, he is still your father, and you cannot speak about your father that way in my house. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Max looks down at a metal vase sitting within his reach, picks it up, and smashes Alex across the face with it. Alex falls onto the bed, unconscious. Chapter 5 The Radio Friday Afternoon Dr. Grimm holds his cell phone to his ear as he walks quickly down the steps of the back exit of the Madisonville Psychiatric Hospital. He reaches the bottom of the stairs and snaps his phone shut in frustration. Where is he? Dr. Grimm glances around nervously as he finally reaches his car. He immediately lifts up the door handle, but it's locked. He lets out a breath, sets his folders down on top of his car, and reaches into the pocket he normally carries his car keys in. The pocket is empty. Dr. Grimm quickly begins reaching into the other pockets and patting himself down before finally realizing that he must have left his keys in his office. Damn! After sneaking back into the hospital undetected, Dr. Grimm slinks up one of the back stairwells that should be quiet at this time of the day. Halfway up, he stops dead in his tracks and clutches his chest, startled by Dr. Lewis, a woman in her late forties with medium-length auburn brown hair. She's standing on the landing, a flight of stairs above him. Dr. Lewis! Boy, you're sure wound up tight. I thought you weren't here. I'm not here. He speaks discreetly as he walks up the stairs to the landing above. At least I'm trying not to be here. He stops when he reaches her, wondering why she is hanging out in the stairwell. What are you doing here? Dr. Lewis holds up a cigarette. I thought you quit smoking. I did, and then my husband left me. Left you? Yeah, two days ago. He called me and told me to have dinner on the table when he got home, or I could find a new husband. I told him to shove it, and I haven't seen him since. Huh, that's rather extreme. Dr. Lewis shrugs. The dinginess of the stairwell catches his attention. It's awful dusty in here. Dr. Lewis shrugs. Back stairwells are supposed to be dusty. Isn't that a law? Not in my building. Do me a favor and call maintenance. Anything else? Dr. Grimm gets a little antsy as he asks. Um, have you seen the head of security? You mean ski mask? Isn't he on vacation? Well, yes, but have you seen him? 
No, and I wouldn't mind if he took a permanent vacation. Ugh. She shudders at the thought of him. Dr. Grimm shakes his head. Why is it that I always leave Dr. Clark in charge when I'm away instead of you? You follow orders so much better. I have no idea, Dr. Grimm. Dr. Grimm looks around, leans in, and lowers his voice. Um, between you and me, Dr. Clark's going to be spending much more time at the Springfield facility, so it appears you'll be getting more opportunities to run the show here. Dr. Lewis's eyes fill with glee. Well, that would be terrific, Dr. Grimm. Uh, Franklin? She smiles at him with a subtle sense of flirtation, which catches Dr. Grimm off guard. Well, oh, enjoy your cigarette. He turns and heads up the stairs. Dr. Grimm reaches the floor to his office. He relaxes as he knows the hall should be quiet this time of the day. He moves through the double doors that near his office and begins to walk briskly, but halts, startled when a young, voluptuous blonde lab tech turns the corner toward him. Dr. Grimm can't remember her name, but recognizes her as a chit-chatty nuisance, exactly the type he least wants to encounter at the moment. He turns and grabs some forms out of a nearby file holder and makes himself look busy as she passes. As her footsteps pass him and become distant, he lets out a sigh of relief. Dr. Grimm turns to watch her exit the floor, only to see Dr. Bloomfield, a man in his early 40s and one of Dr. Grimm's least favorite subordinates, bump hard into the lab tech. Dr. Grimm senses an underlying sense of familiarity between the two as the lab tech stares daggers at Dr. Bloomfield before beginning to walk away. Dr. Grimm's jaw drops at what he next witnesses. Before she can get out of arm's reach, Dr. Bloomfield grabs her rear end and smiles goofily. She wheels around and slaps him full on. He doubles over for a second and then rises up, still holding his goofy expression. He checks her out thoroughly while she storms away. Dr. Grimm shakes his head knowing that Dr. Bloomfield has multiple complaints from co-workers. The boss in Dr. Grimm takes over and he makes himself extremely visible to Dr. Bloomfield by snapping his fingers and commanding him to his side. Dr. Bloomfield, still rubbing his reddened face, takes a nervous breath as he walks to Dr. Grimm. Dr. Bloomfield, perhaps I'm hallucinating? But did I just see you touch that woman on the buttocks inappropriately? Dr. Bloomfield searches for the words to properly defend himself with. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's okay. We, we, we used to date uh, a, a long time ago. Mark my words. One more sexual harassment complaint against you, and you're out on your buttocks. Do you understand me? Uh, yes, yes, sir. Uh, it, it'll never happen again. Good. Dr. Grimm turns to leave. Uh oh, uh, Dr. Grimm, while I have you here, uh, I need to discuss a patient with you. Dr. Grimm rolls his eyes as he turns back to Dr. Bloomfield and notices his tie is crooked. Extremely unprofessional. Dr. Grimm can't take it. Oh, for crying out loud, will you fix your tie? Dr. Bloomfield quickly begins adjusting his tie as the hall lights flicker. Dr. Grimm looks at the lights. His face reddens. He lost count as to how many times maintenance has assured him that it was next on their list. The thought of firing the entire maintenance staff is disrupted by Dr. Bloomfield's predictable comment on the situation. Boy, there go the lights again. Perhaps you should uh, have maintenance look into that? Dr. Grimm's blood begins to boil as he sarcastically snaps at Dr. Bloomfield. Oh, what will we do without you? 
Dr. Grimm turns to walk away, but stops in his tracks. His heart drops as he hears a radio broadcast coming from down the hall. Hospital officials have yet to confirm the escape of one of their mental patients, who has been described by an anonymous source as extremely dangerous. We have been trying all morning to get confirmation. Dr. Franklin Grimm, the head of the hospital for the past decade, will not take our calls. His secretary claims that Dr. Grimm is away from the institution today, but we have confirmed that Dr. Grimm's vehicle has been spotted in the parking lot, causing us to wonder what exactly it is he's trying to hide. Until Dr. Grimm makes a statement, we can only speculate. Dr. Grimm sprints to the room the radio is in, followed closely by Dr. Bloomfield. How long has this been out? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think... Dr. Grimm grabs Dr. Bloomfield by the jacket, pulls him close, and shouts, How long has this been out? <laughs> Since this morning. Dr. Grimm freezes in shock and looks back at the radio. Well, surely you've known something about the reports. Dr. Grimm tosses Dr. Bloomfield aside. Get the hell out of here. Dr. Grimm's mind floods with thought as he walks down the hallway in a daze. Dr. Lewis enters the hall and begins talking when she spots Dr. Grimm. Hi, Franklin. Listen, I was thinking, you and I have a lot in common. Maybe we can get to know each other a little better now that my husband is out of the picture. I mean, it makes perfect sense if you think about it. Dr. Grimm doesn't hear a word she says. His mind is in a fog as he tries to put together how word could have gotten out about the escape. He doesn't even notice the hallway's lights flickering again as he meanders down the hall while Dr. Lewis continues. You're alone most of the time. I'm alone now. We're both going through difficult things. Maybe we can get together and blow off some steam. Dr. Grimm stops and focuses in on his secretary, Gloria, as she walks down the hallway and turns into the office. Dr. Grimm furrows his brow and scowls slightly. Well, what do you think about that, Franklin? Dr. Grimm looks at Dr. Lewis and waves her off. Not now! He storms off down the hall toward his office. Chapter 6 Tied Up Friday Afternoon Alex is on his back in the bed with his hands duct taped behind him. Melissa is thrown onto the bed next to him on her stomach. Like Alex, her hands are also bound behind her with duct tape. On the dresser next to the bed, Max has laid out a variety of tools. Hammer, pruner, hacksaw, pliers, tree trimmer, drill, garden claw, pointed brick trowel, and a chef's knife. Max slowly moves his hand over the items. He picks up the pruners and then sets them down. He slows to feel the handle on the garden claw and then moves on until his hand stops at the chef's knife. He grips it in his hand and cracks an evil grin as he turns to the two people on the bed. Well, 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 look at this happy little couple. Don't you think he's a little old for you? Hey, I asked you a question! He points the knife at her. When I ask you a question, I expect an answer. Now don't you think he's a little old for you? Melissa cries as she talks. No, no, he's not too old. Max lets her go and rises up. He sure looks a lot older than you. Alex seems offended. I'm not that old. Max erupts. Shut up! 
Max climbs on top of Alex and points the blade at Alex's eye as he screams at him. Shut up! You shut up! You don't say anything unless I tell you to. You just keep that trap shut unless I ask you something directly. Just, listen, sir, j just calm down. What the hell did I just get done saying to you? He grabs Alex by the throat and moves in closer to him. Let me go ahead and explain this in terms you'll understand. Alex watches as Max stands up and walks to the dresser of tools. He gasps when he sees Max turn around, holding the drill with a spade drill bit. My God, no! Max smiles as he stands over Alex, grasps him by the throat, and begins lowering the drill toward Alex's eye. Alex screams. Chapter 7 The Leak Friday Afternoon Gloria leans back in her chair, slightly shakes her head to get her long, thick hair out of her face, and props up her feet on her desk. She takes a long drag from a small cigar and unscrews the top off of a bottle of Maker's Mark bourbon. She begins pouring it into her coffee cup and freezes as Dr. Grimm enters the room. Uh, I, I thought you left for the day. Dr. Grimm looks at her in disbelief. Apparently so. Is this what you do when I'm not here? She nods sheepishly, and Dr. Grimm sighs and shakes his head. We'll talk about that later. Right now I want to know what the hell is going on. He is interrupted by the phone, which Gloria picks up and answers with a smile and cheerful voice. Dr. Grimm's office? Yes, he is. Dr. Grimm's eyes widen, and he begins waving his hands and mouthing no. Uh, no, he's not. Uh, when do I expect him? Dr. Grimm grabs the phone from her and hangs it up. It immediately rings again, and she quickly picks it up and speaks gleefully. Dr. Grimm's office? Dr. Grimm grabs the telephone line and rips it out of the phone jack. Are you deliberately trying to give me a heart attack? They've been calling all day. Well, I want to know who leaked this to the press. Well, don't look at me. Well, who should I be looking at? Only three of us knew about this. You, me, and Ski Mask. I didn't tell anybody. I guarantee you Ski Mask didn't tell anybody. And it doesn't take Sherlock Holmes to make this kind of brilliant deduction. Why have you done this to me? You are well paid. I trusted you. Why did you stab me in the back? Don't you shout at me. I didn't tell anyone anything. Quite frankly, had you just kept your voice down when you were talking to Ski Mask, I wouldn't know anything about it, which is exactly the way I would prefer it. Dr. Grimm holds out his hands and speaks calmly. Okay, okay, you're right. You're right. He puts his hands on her shoulders. Oh, I'm sorry, Gloria. It's, uh, it's just been a bad week. You've been one of my best and loyal employees. I, I apologize. Well, if you didn't leak it, and I didn't leak it, are you sure that it wasn't Ski Mask? Absolutely. Ski Mask enjoys this kind of thing too much. Well, who then? I don't know. Listen, take the rest of the day off. Are you sure? Is there anything I can do to help? No, no, no. If, if you're not here, there's no one to answer the phone. So you go on home. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of all of this. Okay, Dr. Grimm. 
The second that the door shuts behind Gloria, Dr. Grimm puts his hands flat on Gloria's desk and takes in a deep breath. Damn it! In a short rage, he shoves a number of items sitting on the desk off onto the floor, but quickly grabs all the items and puts them back in an organized fashion. Dr. Grimm sits down at the desk and notices the bottle of bourbon. He takes the bottle, unscrews it, takes a big swig, and wipes his mouth. Chapter 8 Are You Pure? Friday, afternoon. Max begins lowering the drill closer to Alex's eye as Alex screams. At the last second, Max moves the drill away. Nah, I want you to be able to see everything. Max sets the drill down on the dresser and comes back with a pair of pliers. He flips Alex over and puts his left thumb in the pliers' teeth. A sickening crunch fills the room as he snaps Alex's thumb backwards, causing Alex to yell out in pain. He flips Alex onto his back again. Do you understand now? Have I made my point? Now shut up! Alex quickly suppresses his yell down to subtle grunts and groans. Max walks away from him and turns his attention to Melissa. Eh, she's a nice piece of meat. I bet you're pretty pissed off at me for ruining your date. I bet you were hoping to get a nice piece of ass today, weren't you? No, my intentions were respectable. What did I just get done saying to you? Well, you asked me a question. It was rhetorical. Now shut up! Max turns his attention back to Melissa. I bet you would have put out for him today, wouldn't you? I bet you're a little slut, aren't you? Alex quietly works the duct tape around his wrists as Max leans in on Melissa and slowly runs the knife blade down the side of her face. Are you pure? Answer me. Are you pure? What? Are you pure? <laughs> what? He slams his fist down into the mattress. You better stop answering my questions with questions. Now for the last time, are you pure? Tears run down her face as she speaks. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't know what you mean. It's a simple question that requires a simple answer. I'm going to ask you one more time, and if you don't give me a yes or no, I am going to hack your head clean off. Sexually, are you pure? She sobs, but answers firmly. <laughs> no, no, well, there's a shock. He roughly rolls Melissa onto her back and looks her up and down. Mmm, yeah. Look at this little slut box. He gets on the bed and moves his face very close to hers. Yeah, I bet you like it, don't you? I bet you like it hard. She spits in his face. Max snarls and wipes the dripping saliva off of his mouth with his hand. He looks at it and then licks it. He eerily smiles at her. Do you want to die? Do you? Oh, just give me a reason. Come on. Give me no choice. He moves his face in on hers and slowly licks the entire side of her face. As he licks, she winces and lets out a groan. Yeah, I bet you loved that, didn't you? You filthy little whore! Answer me! Did you love that? Melissa cries. No! I don't believe you! He directs his gaze at Alex. Do you believe her? I believe every word this young lady is saying. Yeah, you would, idiot! Melissa cries as she begs. Please just let us go. We won't say anything. Shut up, tramp. 
Yeah, that's exactly what you are, isn't it? A tramp. I bet you have a tramp stamp, don't you? Melissa doesn't respond. Answer me! I don't even know what that means. A tramp stamp. The stamp of a tramp. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. I really don't. I'm sorry. Oh, come on. It's a tattoo that skanky little whores put right above their ass to show the world what a dirty little tramp they are. A tramp stamp. You have one, don't you? Melissa doesn't answer. She just sobs. Well, let's just find out, why don't we? Max flips Melissa onto her stomach and pulls her pants down slightly, enough to reveal a tattoo on her lower back. Yeah, I knew it! You lying little whore! Alex speaks up. Why don't you just leave her alone? Stop it! Max glares at Alex for speaking. Well, listen to this. Prince Charming coming to the rescue. Man, you must need to get laid real bad if you are risking your life to impress this little slut. I'm not trying to impress anyone. Enough is enough. You leave her alone. Do you hear me? Max is a little surprised at Alex's bravery. What did you just say? I said leave her alone. Max's eyes are burning. He shakes with anger as Alex continues. She, she didn't do anything to you. All she did was come here to go out on a date with me. She doesn't deserve this. Okay, Mr. Tough Guy. You want to defy me? Go right ahead. But you just cost this little floozy a finger. Please, please don't hurt her. I, I, I won't say anything else, I promise. Max smiles, steps back to the dresser, and picks up a pair of handheld limb pruners. He brandishes them and clicks the razor jaws open and shut several times. Don't! I, I won't say anything else! I promise I won't! Max gets on top of Melissa, holds her hands up, and places her little finger in between the blades. No! Max squeezes the blades together. The cracking sound can barely be heard over Melissa's deafening scream. Alex lashes out. You sick bastard! Oh, do you want her to lose another one? No! No, please! Then shut up! Okay! Okay! Max tosses Melissa's digit over his shoulder as Melissa's screaming turns into quiet sobbing. Max flips her over onto her back and eyes her intently. His evil grin reappears. Yeah. I want some of that. And I always get what I want. Max pulls off his outer shirt revealing a tan t-shirt and begins to undo his belt, but freezes when he hears a cellular phone ringing in the attached bathroom. He refastens its belt and walks to the bathroom door. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Max enters the bathroom and shuts the door. A cell phone sits on the bathroom sink. Max looks at it with an odd curiosity as the ring continues to chirp away. He finally picks it up and holds it to his ear. Hello? Chapter 9 The Second in Command Friday Afternoon Dr. Grimm enters his office, shuts the door, and leans against it. Lose something? Dr. Grimm spins around to see Dr. Clark sitting at his desk, jiggling Dr. Grimm's car keys. Dr. Clark, what the hell are you doing in my office? Dr. Clark's beady eyes glisten as a smug smile comes across his face. I like this office. Always have. It suits me, don't you think? You're supposed to be at the Springfield facility. Dr. Clark disregards Dr. Grimm and picks up a framed photo of an attractive woman and a young girl. 
Such a lovely family you had, Dr. Grimm. Such a lovely wife. I hear she remarried. Dr. Grimm takes the picture from Dr. Clark and looks at it. I heard the same thing. Was it worth it, Franklin? Choosing this job over your wife and kids? <laughs> what do you want, Gordon? An escaped mental patient. That sounds so sinister. And reports all over the news. You must be at your wit's end. Dr. Grimm picks up a glass of water from his desk and takes a big swig. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. We'll look on the bright side. What bright side? They don't know who the escaped mental patient is. Yet. Apparently nobody does. But we're all going to find out sooner or later. My money is on sooner. Uh, thank you so much for your concern, Dr. Clark, but I have everything under control. Doesn't seem like it. The escape took place how long ago? Two days? And you still haven't made a formal announcement. What are you waiting on, Dr. Grimm? What's the delay? Dr. Grimm doesn't respond and visibly begins to stew. Wait. I get it. You sent that psychopath ski mask out to catch him, didn't you? You want to cover the whole thing up. You expect ski mask to apprehend him and bring him back, and then you can say the entire thing was a huge misunderstanding. Dr. Clark pauses to think. Okay, that's enough of this, Dr. Clark. Has ski mask caught him yet? Apparently not, and has been two days. Okay, just shut up, Gordon. Not working out quite how you planned, is it, Dr. Grimm? Well, you send a psychopath to catch a psychopath. What do you expect to happen? Dr. Grimm's temper bubbles over and he explodes. Ski mask will do his job! Dr. Clark smiles with satisfaction. So it is true. I, wait, I never said that. Do you expect Ski Mask to pull off this assignment? He's just as crazy as any patient housed in this facility. He is the best head of security I've ever known, by far, by far! He's deranged. The man wears a Ski Mask all the time, for God's sake. No one has ever even seen him without it on, except for you. Hell, I don't even know his real name. And do you want to know his real name, Gordon? Is that it? Do you want to know his real name? If you do, why don't you walk up to him and rip that ski mask off his face, look into his psychopathic eyes, and demand to know his name? Why don't you do that? Dr. Clark is visibly frightened at that thought. Because you're afraid of him, that's why. He hides his identity to protect himself from patients who might hold a grudge. And why would patients hold a grudge? It wouldn't be because of the abuse he puts them through, would it? Do you know how many patients have lodged complaints with me against his brutality? You know what? I am through talking about Ski Mask. I'm through talking to you altogether. Now, for the last time, get out of my office. But you haven't given me a chance to answer your question yet. What question? Earlier, you asked me what I wanted. Okay. I want your resignation. <laughs> Who the hell are you to ask for my resignation? That's it. We're done. We haven't finished our discussion. Yes, we have. I don't need a shark circling me in my own building when I have plenty of them outside. Gordon, you are fired. You think the sharks are circling now? Imagine the feeding frenzy when they find out that the escape patient is none other than the infamous serial killer... John Bromley. 
Dr. Grimm's eyes widen. How do you know it's John Bromley? If word got out that John Bromley escaped while you were in charge, it would cost you your job. I never told you the identity of the escape patient. A sadistic smile appears on Dr. Clark's face, and Dr. Grimm comes to a realization. You son of a bitch. It was you. You let him out. Dr. Clark's smile gets bigger. I knew it! I knew in my mind this had to be an inside job. There was no way something like this could get by Ski Mask. Fortunately, Ski Mask isn't here 24 hours a day. Funny how quiet things are before the first shift arrives. This will ruin me! I know. Why? Why would you do this to me? I brought you up through the ranks. It is because of me and me alone that you hold as high of a position as you do. You're second in command. You are a shoe-in to take over once I retire. Dr. Clark rises with authority. And when will that be, Dr. Grimm? In the next five years, ten years, twenty years, ever? I will not spend the rest of my life waiting for you to retire. The future is now. It's time for a change. It's my time, Dr. Grimm. Ugh. Okay, Gordon, please, don't do this. Uh, we can work something out. I'll, I'll, I'll give you anything you want. I want your job. Dr. Clark, anything but that. Sorry, Dr. Grimm. Resign immediately on your own terms, or I'll let the media in on who it is that's running around out there. Then I'll stand back and watch them lynch you. Well, well, I'll tell them you were behind the whole thing. Dr. Clark moves his face closer to Dr. Grimm's. Prove it. Dr. Clark walks past Dr. Grimm. Dr. Grimm looks down at the picture of his ex-wife and daughter and quietly undoes his tie. This job means everything to me. As Dr. Clark begins walking toward the office door, Dr. Grimm pulls off his necktie, rushes behind him, wraps the necktie around Dr. Clark's neck, and begins to strangle him. Dr. Clark struggles, first flailing away at the tie, trying to loosen it with his fingers enough to gasp for air, but is unsuccessful. He reaches up and begins slapping at Dr. Grimm, who tries to defend this tactic by shaking Dr. Clark roughly from side to side. The constant weight shifting has them slam hard into the side of the desk where Dr. Clark begins to struggle and convulse. His legs kick up onto the desk, as he kicks away in an attempt to free himself, he roughly kicks off several objects on the desk, including the picture of Dr. Grimm's ex-wife and daughter. Dr. Grimm pulls back harder on the necktie. It's buried into Dr. Clark's neck. His fight begins to weaken as Dr. Grimm pulls the tie even tighter. He no longer wrestles Dr. Grimm, but instead frantically scratches at the tie with both hands, and then becomes weaker before his arms finally drop and his eyes bulge wide as his body goes limp. Dr. Grimm lets go of the tie, grabs Dr. Clark's limp body, and sets it onto the floor. Looking down at the body, Dr. Grimm becomes appalled and covers his mouth as he distances himself from it. Huffing and puffing, he begins to pace, but stops when he eyes the body again, collapses into his office chair, and tries to catch his breath. He looks down at the picture of his ex-wife and daughter, shattered on the floor. We hope you enjoyed the show. 
we're dying for you to come back for more. <laughs> Be sure to visit ManiacOnTheLoose.com Sign up for the free newsletter and receive a free book and movie. We'll see you soon. Very soon. Hey everyone, if you're enjoying the Maniac on the Loose Scary Stories podcast, we hope you'll support the show. The show is a lot of work and your support is greatly appreciated. There are several ways you can support the show. Just go to ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash support. That's ManiacOnTheLoose.com slash support. Thank you so much.